I'm Brandon Hull, and you're listening to Freelance to Founder. The coaching, the courses, podcasts, all of that stuff, uh, advertising. I sit at about $150,000 per year. I shared that because that's the six figure mark is something that everybody hopes to hit. But the why of my business is watching my mom stay in that. She was in an abusive relationship for 27 years. And the sole reason that she didn't leave that marriage was because of money, because she didn't have the finances to leave. She felt so trapped. So for me, that was one of my my big driving forces was I don't want people to be stuck in crappy situations because of money. Freelance to Founder is a podcast where I talk to entrepreneurs from all walks of life. They've built service companies, marketing agencies, online courses, physical products, software. They've launched blogs, turned podcasts into businesses, or some combination of these things. In many cases, they started as freelance pursuits, but their pursuits took on a whole new life and scaled far beyond the founder's expectations and definitely bigger than themselves. All right, I can't wait to bring you today's episode, but I've got to set things up just a little bit. Today, we talk to Whitney Hansen. She's a personal brand. You can find her at Whitney Hansen, that's S-E-N dot com. And her story's phenomenal. In this episode, you're going to hear exactly where she's at with the business. You just got a snippet of that. You're going to find out why she's in the business. You just got a snippet of that. You're going to find out how she started from ground zero. In fact, not even ground zero, behind the curve, deeply in debt out of college. You're going to find out what she did to build a following, how she built her first online course, how she expanded from there, how she went from in-person mentoring and teaching people of financial principles to digital business mastery. This is a complete blueprint for how to turn your expertise into a business that you can scale beyond yourself. I'm so proud of this episode and really excited to bring you the story of Whitney Hansen. And we'll get started in just one minute. Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses, and you can do the same in order to learn real-life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. Whitney Hansen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. We've been having great conversation already, so I'm super stoked. <laughs> That's right. We dig in. That's just naturally how this sort of thing happens is we just talk a little bit about life and especially life in Burley, Idaho. And I was going to say, it's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> our coincidences of Burley, Idaho and uh, on all the fun stuff before we even get into the business stuff. But again, That's thanks right. for coming on. It's great. It's glad to, I'm glad to talk to you and I'm excited to, to learn your story. Thank you. I, it truly is an honor. I'm super grateful you had me on. So you are, uh, you're Whitney Hansen, and the brand you represent is Whitney Hansen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, personal <laughs> brand. That's a rare one for us, but we, though we've had it uh, on a couple of occasions. So I want to talk about that a little bit because um, it's an important part of your story, I think, as well. Uh, your your origin story, as it yep. were. But let's start in the present day. What can you share about where the business is today? Um, from a revenue standpoint, and then um, you know how long you've been going at it. Yeah, that's it's a really good question because that's the piece where everyone's always like, "Well, do you actually make money? Like, can you survive? Are you living with your parents?" Um, and I don't. 
<laughs> so with my, my business as a whole, like the coaching, the courses, podcasts, all of that stuff, uh, advertising, I sit at about $150,000 per year, but I shared that because that's the six figure mark is something that everybody hopes to hit. I didn't start there. My first year of business, I made $7,500 for an entire year of business. And so that's where I started and that's where I am today. And it keeps growing and growing podcast wise. Um, that's always interesting too. my podcast. that's at about 50,000 downloads per month. So that continues to grow as well. Holy tamale. So the business, the Whitney Hanson business has been around for how many years? It's been around, I'd say seriously for about three years. Okay. The first couple of years is just dabbling, trying to figure out how the heck do you even work WordPress, that kind of stuff. So yeah, about three years of active revenue generating business. So people uh, who are not familiar with you don't know how you got started doing what you're doing. And so we're going to get into that in just a minute. But but since I know your backstory just a little bit, I have to ask this question. You say in your first year, you made $7,500. But I almost want to say that you were in the negative because this business had to get started by you getting out of debt to begin yes. with. But I don't know if we technically are saying the business started when you were still getting out of debt, you know, after uh, after college and all that sort of thing. So what can you share about that first year? What, what was it really like that first year? <laughs> that's such a good question because I think that's so common where you your business officially starts earlier than you even thought it did. So for me, you're, you're spot on. It started when I graduated from college, Boise State University, Blue Turf. Yes, that's what we're known for. I, isn't that ridiculous? I, I, anyway. It's gorgeous. Come on, it's <laughs> gorgeous. Distraction. <laughs> so started uh, from there because I graduated college and I had $30,000 in student debt. And that was kind of my come to Jesus moment where I was holding that piece of paper, literally a physical piece of paper thinking, okay, that's a lot of money. But I was told that it was normal and it was okay and don't worry about that. And so I didn't want that to be my life. I just felt how heavy that debt was. And so I put together a plan and that plan was work two jobs. I was a nail tech, so manicures and pedicures all through undergrad. That was my college job. So I did that all through undergrad and then was a staff accountant. It was what my first job out of college was. So I did both of those jobs for a little bit longer and was able to pay off that entire $30,000 with a ton of sacrifice in 10 months. And so while you're spot on, that is kind of where the business really blossomed, where it started because it was my own personal story that led into free consulting at Starbucks, where I would just teach people how to put together plans. But that really truly is where it all began, but it didn't become a formal business where I took it seriously until uh, probably about two and a half years later when I finally realized you can actually make money online. I had no idea that was even an option, but that's so, where it really started. So at the uh, the Bluefield School of Boise State, when, <laughs> right. you were you were not originally planning to do get into blogging and online courses and hosting your own podcast and all that sort of thing. That was not the vision you had at that point in time, what was the, was it, in, was it to be a nail technician? Like oh, after God, the fact, no. <laughs> what no, was the plan? A tough job. Um, <laughs> it's a tough, tough job. The plan was to, I thought do corporate accounting. So that's where I initially went into that, got into the cubicle life and realized I hated it. It was not for me. I'm way too social. I like to talk with people and I, it just wasn't for me. I didn't enjoy the process. And frankly, I wasn't that good at it either. And so I started to realize that and was like, well, crap, now what do I do with my life? Like I put all this time and energy and money into a career that I thought was going to be my next thing. And that's going to be my 40 year vision. So I thought maybe corporate marketing. So I did go back for my master's degree at Boise State, got a job working for Boise State 
to help me fund my college tuition. So you get a discount on tuition. So my MBA cost me $472. Wow, that's cool. But I, yeah, it was super cool. But I thought corporate marketing was where I was going. And that's what I went into with every intention and then found out about business and online world and thought maybe there's something there. So the accounting to marketing switch is already a tough one for some people, I'm sure, to grasp because I'm sure a lot of people feel like you're you're either prone to be attracted to one or the other. And while it's scientifically um, proven that there's no actual difference, there's no actual right brain, left brain thing. That's how we think of things often is very, you know, very analytical, very uh, uh, data driven. But then there's also the creative side. Did you just always have that in, bo- in, in you from the get go that you were sort of, you balanced that fence or you straddled that fence really well? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely did. I was, when I was in high school, this is really nerdy, so bear with, but I was super weird in the sense that I would, I would sit down and I'd write all my goals out, like literally type them all out, print them up. I would laminate the paper and I would create like a little goals book. So in my goals book, I'd have every single goal I wanted to achieve. A lot of those were financial goals in hindsight. That's kind of interesting to me, but it was, I want to make this much money. I want to buy this type of house. I want to buy this type of car. Like it was very numerically driven, but that's always what has motivated me. I think the data speaks. And so I was always very analytical, but I have that, this creative side where I like to scrapbook and I like to put together weird goal books. And so that was always the mesh where I'm like, how does that fit together? I don't know. But in what I do today, it fits perfectly. Please tell me you have this goal book in your possession still. You didn't throw it out. Oh, no, I did not. It is good stuff too. It is so cheesy. And the stuff that I thought was a goal was get my nails done once a month. I'm like, what kind of crap goal is that? But <laughs> yeah, I still have it. That's just making sure that you have some order to your life, right? That's that's a, that's one of those goals that that ladders up to maybe the financial goals is that there's a sort of system to how you do things in life. That's how I would view that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're saddled with this um, student loan debt and you're determined to pay it off quickly. What was the first job you had right out of college that enabled you at least to make enough with the nail tech job to pay off that debt? What did you do first? Because obviously it was soul crushing. <laughs> so what was that first job like? I was working for a small accounting firm and their whole focus was tax returns and external audits so that people could get loans and whatnot from for banks. And so that was the job. It was working literally in this little office building, a strip mall in the back of the office is where my desk was. And I was with all the files and all that stuff. And my job was to just go to the filing cabinet, grab the next file, work on the tax return, and then occasionally do a little bit of trial balance stuff for the audits. And then I did start to go into the the companies for super boring type of audit accounts, payable accounts, receivable, making sure you're checking the boxes. That was what my job was. And that's when I was like, oh God, what am I doing with my life? This is awful. <laughs> it was terrible. I hated it. Were really you just did. thinking, if I'm doing this 15 to 18 months from now, I think I might bash my head against the wall. This was just, was it just boring? Was it the the monotony of it? Yeah, I think that the missing piece was as as an, a staff accountant. I wasn't a CPA. I never really wanted to go that route. The idea of having to keep up on all the regulations and all of the rules that just sounded a little bit draining to me from that perspective because it's so it's boring reading, my friend. It is not fun stuff. And so it was a little bit of that and then just a little bit of the actual work. So I enjoyed what I thought accounting was, was talking with people, showing them, this is how you can pay off debt. This is how you can live on a budget. Not really the case. Like some accountants probably do some of that, but that wasn't the focus. And that's more of the side that I like to work with people on 
because I, I grew up with a single mom in a single mom household with six kids. I saw how important that day to day and just stretching the dollar was. And I saw that enough, enough people were doing that. They were putting it on the credit cards. They weren't worrying about it. And that was more of the piece that I wanted to, to help people with. And I just picked the total round field. I could have gone into financial planning. I didn't really enjoy the investing side of it either, though. That wasn't really interesting to me. It was more of the, how do we help people with the day-to-day? How do we get them to the next month so they can pay all their bills on time and not struggle financially? That was the piece that I liked. So I knew you came from a single mom household. I didn't know it was with six kids. What was that life like? Oh, that was nuts. Oh, man. So that's really, when I I get into the core of the business and, and my why, my true why, the debt that sucked, that was not fun. That drove me to creating the business. But the why of my business is watching my mom stay in that. She was in an abusive relationship for 27 years. And the sole reason that she didn't leave that marriage was because of money, because she didn't have the finances to leave. She felt so trapped, not to mention now you have six kids. It's easy to see where that went. So for me, that was one of my, my big driving forces was I don't want people to be stuck in crappy situations because of money. And so that's the, at the core of my business, that's my why. That's exactly why I do everything I do. When did that click with you? You've got the job post-college that is soul crushing as we, as we mentioned, you've (laughs) got those, um, I almost want to call them sacred memories, um, from a childhood where, where you watched your mom sacrifice, uh, a happy life to have a stable life just financially, not even physically, but having a a stable life financially for you and your siblings and maybe her as well. Um, was there some sort of tipping point moment for you where you realized this is where I need to be? Uh, in the bigger picture, um, it's where my heart is telling me I need to go. But I also, just from a practical standpoint, can't stand the work that I'm doing in the nature in which I'm doing it. Was there some sort of moment where you just sat back in your chair in that cubicle that you hated and thought, <laughs> it's got to stop now? Yeah. You know, honestly, at that time, the th- the moments, I wouldn't say it was like one aha moment for me. I, it was just a series of little things that accumulated. And it was when I'm holding this debt, I'm looking at my career life. I knew I wanted to make money. I, that was always a big priority for me because I wanted to be financially secure. But it was hearing, I was listening to Dave Ramsey. That was the only option at that time. There was, you know, if you're listening to podcasts, it was Dave Ramsey at that time. So I'd sit there and I'd just like be working on my computer and listening to stories of people going through their, their financial situations. And it, that's, that was kind of my aha moment when I started to see that you can make money doing this and you can actually do a lot of good in the world. If you help people just solve a couple small pain points, which to me were small, but to them are huge. And that's kind of where my aha moment was. This is actually a bigger deal than we think it is. It's not helping corporations make more money, which is kind of what accounting is. And how do you preserve your profit? That's cool. But the people behind that profit were the people that I actually cared more about. So that I'd say that was probably more of the aha moment for me. What were the pain points that you noticed people struggling with the most? Going out to eat too much. It was like simple, simple things. Like I don't want to prep my meals. So I'm just going to swipe my card again, or I'm going to book a vacation and I don't care how I'm going to pay for it. I'll figure it out later. So I'm just going to put it on my credit card. It was those really small decisions that were adding up to a big problem over time. It wasn't the big, I overpurchased on my home. I took on too much risk and now I'm bankrupt. We hear those stories, but from what I saw, it was more of the day-to-day decisions that were hurting people. Are you were you always entrepreneurial in heart where you saw people struggling in this way and were also reflecting on your own personal life and your personal job situation 
and you you're you're the way your gears turn you're just immediately thinking this I, this needs to be a business i need to go into business for myself or were were you still not there yet that you were going to do this full time how did you how did Great the actual question. evolution happen yeah i wish i could say that i always knew that that was going to be the calling but i didn't i've always been very entrepreneurial i was always the kid selling candy on the school bus mowing people's lawns selling a lemonade stand in Burley, the country of Burley, idaho so you know i made dollars so it was always entrepreneurial from that sense. My parents owned a business. I saw them go through, uh, they owned a pallet business. So, you know, like on wooden pallets yeah, for shipping yes. and things like that. Yeah. 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 Believe it or not, it's not for just for decoration. Um, <laughs> so that's what our business was. So I'd go out there and I would repair pallets and, you know, cut the boards and ham hit some nails. And that piece was always very ingrained in me. So hard work was there, but I just, I truly stumbled into the online world. I did not even know that was a thing. Even through college, it was never taught. It was never mentioned. There was no talk of you can do a podcast. You can do videos. You can start a YouTube channel. None of that was there. So I didn't even know it was in existence until I started reading people's blogs and starting to make connections that these people aren't just telling their stories. They're making money from their stories. That's when it started to really start to click a little bit more. But no, I kind of stumbled into it. I honestly did. Were you just thinking you would help people sort of like on the side for a little bit yeah. or something that you would just, you know, friends that you would offer advice to or would come to you for advice because they knew you were a staff accountant? Um, did you just kind of assume that you'd dabble in helping people while living your uh, mm -hmm. miserable day job? <laughs> 100% because my, my business today is courses, is coaching, podcasts, all of that stuff, blogging. And I didn't know you can make money from that. I always thought it was either you're a financial advisor or you're a CPA. That's the only way you can legally make money helping people. Mm -hmm. Anything above that is just goodwill. And so, yeah, I, I started to learn that that's not true. It's if you have a passion, if you have expertise, you do have to have some chops for sure. But if you have those things, you can still coach people and make money off of that. So it was have to be legally right. Did, did you, um, was there like a conference you attended or was there some speaker that you listened to, or was there something that, uh, that made you start to realize that this thing that I'm doing on the side, helping people out here and there can be a viable business. I can make money from it. And maybe even at some point in time, it can be my, my full-time, full-time thing. Is, yeah. Was that how it worked for you? Kind of. When I started the business, I joined a very small, almost business accelerator, like a, a tiny, tiny little incubator. I shouldn't say accelerator. It was definitely an incubator. And it was a bunch of people. I think there were 15 of us that were all in college. We're all Boise State College students trying to start a business. My, because I didn't know about online business, my inkling was I was going to make money by teaching in-person workshops. That's what I thought, because that's what I knew. I had never seen anything else modeled. And when I was in venture college, I did start teaching workshops in person and I didn't make great money. And we were talking $7,500 my first year, but I started to connect with one of my friends that did affiliate marketing. That was his full-time thing. And he had pocket knives and he had spotting scopes. Like it was all across the board. That was his types of businesses. And that's where I was like, wait, 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 how does the affiliate marketing work? So just diving into that. And he started to really open my eyes to this online world. So I'd say it was probably him that I'd have to credit that to. All right. I'm going to jump in for just a minute and highlight something that she just mentioned there about that incubator. I think this is a really cool idea. And while we had plenty of people on the show who've talked about mentors or important influencers in growing their business. We haven't really talked about people who've had incubators or business developers or business accelerators that they have participated in or joined. And, and that might be a great thing for you to look into. You know, Boise is not a small town. 
Um, but it's not a huge one either. No doubt there are incubators and organizations that do the same thing in larger cities throughout the U.S. as well as other countries. So something to look into. All right. So you've, you've got some, uh, I don't know if I'll call them mentors yet, but you've definitely got some examples of people who are turning this expertise into business in a variety of, of different ways. What was the first thing that you started to do besides helping people one-on-one? And I'll call it in a freelance way. I'm sure you didn't necessarily see it as freelancing, but um, what was the first thing that you started to do to maybe turn this into something that could be done digitally where people didn't mm. have to be eyeball to eyeball with you and you turned it into an actual business. When did that happen? How far long or how far in the past? And what did you do first? You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's going to want to take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to Hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code freelance to save $400 hydro.com promo code freelance or just click the link in our show description have you ever noticed that many of the problems people call in with on this show can be solved by hiring someone sometimes you need a full-fledged team other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at whatever your reason for hiring we recommend you take a look at linkedin jobs LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs. And did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. That would have been about uh, after my first year of business, I was teaching all the in-person workshops. I started to dive into how do you scale in-person stuff? And the natural progression is creating courses. And you, you already have the content. It was already there. I'd already been teaching it for a year. I knew it was good stuff. So what I did is I taught a webinar. Um, this is just like diving down the online marketing rabbit hole and learning about webinars and how do you market a webinar? So I taught a webinar. And at the end of that webinar, I pre-sold the course. It was called Manage Your Money Like a Boss. I had not created it. It was just the in-person stuff. I told people, look, here's what it's going to look like. I think it's going to be amazing. I've taught it in person. It doesn't actually exist right now in an online format. But if you want to buy it, I'll give you a super great deal. Here's the price. I think I charged $99. And I pre-sold it at that price. 
And I had like $600 worth of sales from that one webinar and was like, oh God, it's hustle time. So then I'd go create it and, you know, put it all together and start to drip the content. But that's, that was how I started to scale it up a little bit more from that in-person workshop to, I can have, you know, six people at one time going through the course. How did you get the first wave of people even to the webinar to begin with? Oh, friends and family. I think that's how most businesses start, right? It's like you talking to your internal network and just connecting with those people. I did try a couple of Facebook ads and I can't remember the year. This was maybe 2015, 2016, I guess. It, so it, Facebook ads at that time were pretty dang good. So five bucks went a really long way. Maybe not so much now, but that's where it was. So I did a, a couple ads targeting people for Boise, Idaho. I didn't know to expand past that either. Um, so that's where I started. You were focused on the residents of Boise, Idaho. That that's cracks right. me up. <laughs> I thought that was the only thing you could do. I know that sounds so like naive, but now, thank God, I know. But yeah, at that time, I'm like, oh, it's only people from Boise that are going to buy my stuff. Nobody nationally. No. All right. So your first taste of online entrepreneurship is a $600 course uh, or resources that you've sold through a webinar. How soon thereafter did you start to realize, okay, okay, systems. I got to start putting systems in place. Yeah. So from there, I started to realize that you have to have funnels to sell your products. So that's where I next went. My webinar was a very small piece of a funnel. It wasn't fully flushed out. And so then it was diving into, all right, how do I systematically get people to go through this webinar all the time where I don't have to sit there and teach it over and over and over again? And how do I get them to go from webinar to email list? Because I knew email list was important to actually purchasing. And so it was diving into funnels. And that was the first thing was building out that first funnel. And then once I had that, it was segmenting it down further into, okay, here's a bigger manager money like a boss course is pretty comprehensive. Can I just separate out just budgeting, just debt? just, you know, goal setting. Can I break it down even further? And that was then after I got the funnel working and testing it, I broke it down into smaller sub courses to support that. Was there a model that you had in mind that taught you, that introduced you to the concept of funnels? Um, because yep. you're, you're going from an accountant and then somebody who studied marketing, understandable. It's not, marketing is usually not taught the yep. way it's practiced in online businesses today. Uh, at least it's not taught in schools that way for the most part. But so was there somebody or some people that you had in mind that thought, okay, the way they're doing that, I want to do that though for you know personal finance or um, helping people get out of debt and so forth. Who, who was who was that that model that you followed? At that time, it was Screw the 9 to 5, Jill and Josh Stan. So I was part of their membership group and I read one of their blog posts. It was called The Perfect Sales Funnel. Highly, highly recommend. Even in today's world, it's still pretty dang good. So I went through that that blog post and started to look at how I was piecing all my funnels together and how do you how do you cover the cost of your ad? So offering a smaller product, seven, maybe $19, that covers the cost of getting people to go through that funnel. So the Facebook ads, the YouTube ads, all of those different things. How do you pay for that upfront from like a very small product. So that was something I incorporated in. And then how do you go from a very small intro offer to get them to the point where they're comfortable spending money with you into a higher ticket item, which is now coaching for me. And so it was kind of that value ladder. And then around that same time, I was going through their sales funnel training, going through their membership. I started to discover Russell Brunson. He's a Boise gal as, uh, guy as well. Cal, he'd <laughs> love that. Um, and so I started to learn a little bit more about his business. And that's where I started to dive into value ladders. And how do you how do you systematize this so you don't have to do all that crappy work? 
by just implementing some funnels and making it flow in a natural way. So for somebody who got their start doing this in a one-to-one way, knowing that in a lot of ways you're helping people overcome maybe mental hurdles, uh, emotional hurdles when it comes to money, not just the physical, practical how-to hurdles. Were you ever nervous that you were choosing um, a type of business that would be hard to translate into a digital business? Or did you already feel like you've got some people out there that are doing this pretty well? It should adapt pretty, really well, you know, relatively easily yeah. for you. I would say it wasn't so much the financial piece. I think we see plenty of examples of people that crush it in the financial world. How do you make money with real estate? How do you make money trading stocks? The part that I was the most concerned about, and I am very aware it makes it a little bit more of a difficult business, is when you're trying to sell people a course or coaching or a product and they're already in debt. Realistically, should they be putting that money towards their debt? Maybe, maybe not. And so that was, I'd say that's the biggest struggle that anybody that wants to kind of mimic this strategy will run into is convincing yourself first, getting over that mindset of, I can help them and it's going to be well worth their money, which is why they should be investing in coaching and maybe not putting that all towards debt or a course. So that's that's one of the big hurdles internally. And then how do you communicate that? You have to have a lot, a lot of confidence in your abilities in order to over, overcome that barrier because people will ask about it. And if you don't have a good answer, it's going to be really hard to sell. And them. it seems like for what you sold, there's also got to be a certain, maybe a higher level of sympathy or empathy in the way that you work with Huge. people versus somebody who's just wanting to sell a uh, an ebook on this or a course on marketing yep. your business. You're talking about something, again, that's very personal to someone. And there's a certain degree of uh, um, uh, kinship you have to have with somebody maybe in your own marketing and your own communications with people. You totally do. There's so much shame around money and so much embarrassment. And just, we feel, we feel stupid for not understanding how money works and how to create a budget. How do you pay off debt? How do you invest your money? What is the 401k? All of that stuff that we start to learn over time, you are so embarrassed to actually ask those questions. And so usually you have to have a little bit of humility with that. So the way I overcome that is just by sharing I didn't know this. This was my situation. I was a total idiot. I didn't understand what a credit score was. I was afraid of credit cards. I didn't know what any of this stuff meant, but it's okay because we can learn this. And so I think if you if you have a heart of a teacher and you're willing to put in the time and energy into educating first and making it a normal thing, breaking down some of those taboos, it helps. It goes a really long way versus just standing on your soapbox saying this is how you should manage it's totally funny. different strategies. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned having the heart of a teacher about you. Um, that's the other thing I wanted to head to was I think there's a lot of people who understand certain aspects of building a business or marketing yourself or oh, it actually doesn't even have to be any of those areas, although we run across plenty of courses in the online business world about how to build courses and so forth. But <laughs> but when you're when you're in that world doing that, you usually start with a base of knowledge that you already have. In your case, getting out of debt, how to uh, you know, map out your how you're spending your money and where's it going and that sort of thing. I, I imagine a lot of people may feel like I've always wanted to start my own business and maybe teach people how to do something and start my own course and so forth. But I have all of this knowledge up here and I'm not sure quite how to organize it so that I can turn it into a business for myself. What did you fall back on? How did you go about that process of taking expertise which plenty of people have in plenty of areas, and turning it into a methodical process that made sense for people to be able to tap into that expertise? Oh, I love this question. So we're going to get kind of nerdy for a sec. The way to start, um, because mine's a personal brand, I lean on my story. 
I still to this day lean on my story because that's what connects people. So I always think no matter what your hobby is, if you're an incredible woodworker, why do you do woodworking? Why are you so passionate about that? Get to that story first and foremost. Once you can build that trust and that connection where people say, oh, I get this. I feel the same way. I've said that before. Then you, as your business grows and as you get more experience, then you can start to back that up even further where maybe somebody hears my story and they're like, I can't rent out my house and not go to Starbucks and I can't do that. That's not my situation. I don't, so Whitney probably can't help me, but if I pull in testimonials to support other people's stories, that's where it starts to build this whole cohesive brand where people trust you. And I think in online business, trust is everything. You have to get that trust as quickly as possible. So, so hard. So lean on your story as you get some experience, build in some testimonials so people can relate with other people that you've helped. And then you can start to see what do they actually want? Is it a course? Is it coaching? Is it none of that stuff? Is it a podcast? Is it videos? You can start to just get do a little bit more customer discovery to see what products you should be offering. And so I think for most businesses, if we pare it down at the core, that's kind of what they do. You share a story, you connect with people, and then you offer them what they want, but you have to ask them what they want. And so it's building that into your your process too. And then creating that product or service and giving that to them. Well, you have really all the answers. Simple. Yeah, you, you know, it's that simple, is it? <laughs> you, you've got- Truly, truly though. <laughs> if well, you can like pair all the other crap out. Yes. That's the foundation. The, the idea, the path, uh, I'm teasing you a little bit because the path does seem <laughs> simple. However, even for you as a smart person in your first year, you've got to build a lot of- the foundation, right? For the coming yes. years, you've got to build this content. You've got to build these products, these courses, and you've got to do it in a way that makes sense for you, that understands your bandwidth. You've got nothing but time, obviously, when you're, right. when you're officially out on your own. So um, how did you go about building the Whitney Hansen personal brand and the business during that first year? What were the steps that you took after, let's you know, go beyond that webinar that you did, what did you do first, second, third, fourth? Did it follow a huge strategy? Was it sort of tactically just taking advantage of opportunities? Walk us through that first year. Uh, the first year was basically throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what stuck. Honestly, it really was. And I don't recommend that. Um, as a solopreneur, anybody that's freelancing or trying to grow their own business can probably relate to that where you get an opportunity. You're like, great, I'll go with that. Sure. Yes, I'm a speaker now too. And yes, I can do. So I'd say that that's not the best strategy. That's what I did. But if I were to go back, what I would do instead is I would have focused very heavily and very intently on one thing at a time. I would put all of my blinders on, put things in the parking lot and refocus on how do I get this one course to make as much money as possible? What's not working about it? My energy would be 100% centered around that. Instead of trying a whole bunch of different things, I threw challenges. I did all kinds of weird things that were great and were helpful. And I appreciate so much. I learned from that, but that's not what grew the business. So step one, focus on one thing at a time. Do not get distracted. I'd say step two would be to understand that business itself is easy. The part that makes it so tough is our emotions and our imposter syndrome and feeling we're we're not good enough. It's not going fast enough. Mm-hmm. We give up too quickly. I really do believe that. If I would have gave up after the first year, I wouldn't be here today. My business is growing every single year and that's great. But if I wouldn't have been patient and just waited it out and kept trying and learning, that's that's the issue. And so I, I we were kind of joking about that, but I really do believe business is actually very easy. The stuff that's hard is our emotions. We complicate things because we need 
to manage life and business. And yeah. that gets really tricky, but at the core, it really is that simple. And so I think when you're in the trenches, remind yourself of that and don't get so, you know, how am I going to learn this? It doesn't matter. Embrace that on-demand learning style of what do I need to know now? How do I focus in on this one product? And what do I need to know next to get it to grow? Not what's step A, B, C, D, E, just focus on the very next thing. Yeah. And I'd say that that's honestly, that's the step-by-step is don't get too caught up into all of the details. Just focus on what you're doing right now. But there's also that, by the way, I shouldn't be quick to say, but there's also because you 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 yeah. shared some valuable nuggets in there because there's so many decisions I think people feel like they need to be making to have things very orderly as they start their online business. And you can feel like there's you can't be in enough places. You 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 need to be on Instagram. You need to be here. You need to be there. You need to have courses. You mm. need to like you it, it can be overwhelming for somebody to feel like you've got to have all of this well-rounded product offering and marketing presence all clicking at the same time in order for it to all work. And then if somebody feels like they've got to do what you're doing now in their first year, maybe you do. But if you're a little bit more patient about things, if you're literally doing it on the side or something, it seems like what you're suggesting is just have a good idea of what value you provide um, and knowing how, you know, how, how, your, how your story factors into it. And as you do that, it, it sure feels like opportunities will sort of present themselves to you. They do. And I, I love this is a really good point too, because I, I believe this at my my core. When I say focus, I'm not saying only focus on one marketing effort at a time. That's the piece where I think if you do that, you're going to be a little bit disappointed because you don't necessarily know what's going to resonate. Focus on one offering at a time, one revenue generating thing. If it's an app, focus everything you have on that app. If it's writing for clients, focus everything you have on how do I create my packages for freelancing. That's very, very different than marketing yourself. I, I do still stand by this. When you are starting your business, your marketing efforts do kind of need to be a little bit of that shotgun approach because you don't really know what's going to stick. And so that's the tough part is how do I do Instagram, YouTube, podcasting, Facebook, Vine? How do I do all of these? Is Vine even around anymore? I don't think so. <laughs> okay. I wonder, I'm like, do they officially shut down? I was going to let you run with it though. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but how do you do all of that stuff? Yeah. Because that is the important piece. Getting your message out there in as many platforms as you can is important. But I don't think you should necessarily create individual pieces of content in the beginning for each of those platforms because that's hellish. I've done that. It's hard. It's exhausting. So repurposing as much as you possibly can, where if you do a YouTube video, then piece it down and put a couple of clips on Instagram, put a couple of clips on Facebook. I think that's an okay strategy. It's not ideal, but at least gets you on, onto the different platforms. So you're at least making those connections. And you went the blog route as well. I mean, you've got a pretty mm -hmm. robust blog um, with very specific and practical uh, one-off pieces, not just strategy yep. and and not just stories either, but actual practical pieces on getting out of debt and so forth. Was the blog, and is it still a big part of these first couple of years? It is for generating traffic to the website. So for getting cold traffic in, yes. Sure, yep. If you look at my blogging track record, I'm not very consistent with it. Like that's pretty apparent if you just look through some of the articles, but it doesn't necessarily have to be super consistent because for me, the way I view it is I don't make money from blogging. I'm a blogger, but I, that's not my job. Blogs don't make money, businesses do. So how do you turn that that traffic into money? And that's through courses and through coaching. So the way I use the blog is I will have articles that will be 
timeless and some that are seasonal. Some how to save money on Christmas gifts. Yep. That stuff is constantly circulating through Pinterest. And so from Pinterest, when it generates traffic, which is free traffic right now, so it's the best. When you get that, you're going to have a higher bounce rate. We're talking probably anywhere between 70 and 90%. So your bounce rate is going to be straight garbage. But if you're smart about it, you put that pixel on your page, on your website, a Facebook pixel. So then when people land on that, they're getting retargeted with core offers. And so that's kind of how I view that is not, I'm a blogger. It's that's just how I get traffic. It's just a destination you want people to land on so that your other prongs, you can get your fingers onto them in other ways, right? 100%. Something like that. Yep, exactly. So, and I do monetize my site, but that's not, that just helps cover some of the costs of business. Yeah, so the, the ads on the site really are not much of a uh, key contributor to the revenue yeah. that you make from it. It's more of a, eh, if you're going to be here and you're going to click away, I might as well yep. make a few, uh, few dollars on it as well. The, exactly. the Facebook retargeting piece is not one that I've heard, I'm not, I'm not unfamiliar with it, but it's not one that I hear people that are relying on content marketing um, at their own site doing a lot. How did you arrive at that decision? That's a, that's a good one. That one came from, honestly, screw the nine to five. That, they had a course in there all about Facebook ads. And that's where I started experimenting with Facebook ads and just trying what does 20 bucks get you these days. And so just figuring out from that standpoint, that's where it started. And then I started just playing around with it more and putting a little bit more money into it. And so now thankfully I'm part of Facebook small business council. So I get to like test out some new products and features and, and get honestly some ad dollars. Sometimes they'll do some little competitions and give you some free money there. That's pretty cool. But that that's always something where I, I don't ever want to rely on one platform for everything I have. Pinterest is great. Pinterest will probably, event, I mean, they're now IPO. So what does that mean? It might not be free traffic anymore, right? Right. And thank God that I have all these other things that are kind of floating it up too. But I don't know. I think it's, how do you make all of your marketing efforts work together in one way? And I think that Facebook pixel is really good for that. I really do. Yeah. When did you, were, were there any times over these last, uh, let's say, three years or so that you've been doing this. And you've been doing it full-time for the last three years. Is that right-ish? Full-time full time for a year now. Okay. So I was doing all of this on the side of my 45-hour-a-week job, too. Okay. All right. So let's just go back to that that breaking point um, just over a year mm -hmm. ago then. Were you making so much with your personal brand on the side and frustrated enough with the other stuff that it was a no-brainer for you to break with the day job and make this your thing? Or were there some stressful nights as you thought about, what if it doesn't work? What if three months from now this happens or that happens? What was that transition like? This is such a good story. The I, I'm financial security, right? That's important to me. Seeing my family background, I totally had a scarcity mindset in a lot of ways. So that is my utmost importance is how do I mean my own house? And so because of that, it took me much, much longer to jump ship from an emotional standpoint. I never felt ready. And my business finally got to the point where I was making more than my day job. And I still hadn't jumped ship. It took me probably eight months after that to officially make that leap. And then when I finally put in my two-week notice, that week, my business revenue, I'm not even joking, dropped big time. And I was like, oh my God, I messed up. What did I do? What have I done? And it was just cyclical, right? You have to look at your business seasonalities. And at that time, it was just a seasonal thing. But I was so scared. And it was that fear that kept me in my job for much longer than it needed to. 
but my advice for anybody that's navigating that decision is first and foremost, have your own personal emergency fund so you can cover your bills. Also have a business emergency fund so your business can stay afloat as well. So I had two different emergency funds. I knew my business cost, say, 500 bucks per month to run. I'm totally making these numbers up. I would have a full year of business expenses. Again, overachiever financial security. This is just what worked for me. In, in a savings account and then all of my personal expenses so that I didn't have to rely on my personal expenses to keep the business afloat. I could still maintain both of those and keep them very separate in my eyes. So despite the fact that you're so logical and so organized and about so how nerdy. you manage your money and so, uh, I'm okay, fine. I'll say nerdy too. Uh, since, you, <laughs> since you are of that, uh, of that uh, mindset um, or despite, I should say, you being in that mindset, was it still a little bit of a nerve-wracking time from the time you resigned to the time that the valley started to turn upward again? You know, the chart started to look yes. positive again. I was terrified. That was probably one of the scariest decisions I've ever made because I, when you have to rely on yourself to produce, you're the only thing that's keeping you afloat. And if you don't put yourself out there, if you don't market, if you don't run your business appropriately, if you don't manage your cash flow, you're done. You got to go back to work there. That's scary. I'd say a lot of it was, I was afraid of what other people would think if my business failed. Mm-hmm. And thankfully I don't care about that now. If I, if my business flopped tomorrow, I'm okay. Like my personal life, I think is more important to me of maintaining progress in my financial life. So I don't know. I think there's just a lot of fear of like, what are people going to think? What if my business doesn't work? And it's just, it's all garbage. And at the end of the day, people don't care if your business doesn't work. They're not watching you as close as we think they are. Yeah. I, I, we could probably go on a tangent here and maybe, maybe we could explore it. Maybe we should, I don't know. We'll find out here, but I, I feel like it's very much tied to the sort of Instagram culture that we're in right now, where we feel yes. like the public persona always needs to look positive and uh, and wonderful and everything is smiles and uh, pink hearts in the corners and so forth, you know, and, and <laughs> right. um, especially when you've started an online business and in your case, there's it's a personal brand. You know, you didn't rebrand this and you're behind the scenes. It is your name front and center. Um, mm-hmm. I can see that there would be a little bit of pressure for that. What do you do then to stay sane? <laughs> what do you do to because you've only been doing this now full time straight for one year. So what do you do to sort of say, say, what's the self-care routine to keep you on top of things? Oh, I love it. Um, One of the things that I had to, I had a long conversation with my fiance because I was having such a hard time with sales and I was afraid I was being too aggressive. I was afraid. I, I just, I struggled with that. I really did. And one of the things he told me was as a personal brand, it's easy for you to get caught up into this is me. I'm putting me out there into the world. And if, if my course gets rejected, it's rejection for me. And that was how I was feeling. Truly. I felt like if somebody said, no, they were rejecting me as Whitney Hansen. What I had to do is I had to do a mindset shift and say, Whitney Hansen co is employing me. And damn it, if I don't make those calls, if I don't sell, I will get fired from my job. This is my job. This is not my personal brand. This is my career. And when I made that shift, it really helped to just separate that personal brand from me as an individual. I know that sounds so weird, but that's what I had to do was just really very clearly say, this is my job and I will get fired if I do not produce. (laughs) Well, like you said before, it's very simple to do, but was it easy in practice to make that separation? No, no, it's never 
easy to do that, right? I think anytime you have to deal with mindset change or behavior change and how we feel about ourselves, that's some messy stuff. And that takes some time. But thankfully, there's podcasts, there's lots of resources out there that you can just tune into and force yourself to start to change your brain, your brain over time. If you just surround yourself with that stuff, eventually you're going to start to believe it. I really do believe that. Yeah. So when someone comes to, uh, whether it's the money nerds, uh, the, the podcast, uh, homepage or your home personal homepage, the Whitney Hanson.com. Yep. And by the way, for those, uh, are, who are wondering and haven't bothered Googling this while they're listening because they're driving or whatever, it's H A N S E N.com. But, yeah. um, when they arrive there today, they see a pretty well thought out, uh, comprehensive offering. Let's let's call it uh, free content as well as your personal story, uh, resource recommendations. There's the course. Uh, there's coaching and all of those things. Um, what are the l- most recent elements that you've brought into the fold as part of what the branding of Whitney Hansen is? Like, what are the most recent additions to how you package things or uh, market yourself? What's, what's mm-hmm. the latest? The latest for my business, and it's not reflective on my website yet. So maybe go screenshot that now and then see how I do it later because <laughs> it's always fun to see. Um, but it's offering more speaking. So that's my next phase. I yep. love speaking. I love chatting with people. I love helping people in yep. big, big audiences. And so you're going to see my brand start to evolve into that a little bit more. So what that's going to look like from a website standpoint is right now it's very product consumer driven. I will likely have a separate website specifically for speaking because it's my personal brand is very casual, very approachable with speaking. It needs elevated in a different way. So that's the the next phase. That's what you're going to see the next transition be. Ah, so you're going to see the slightly more buttoned down version of, uh, or buttoned up, I guess would be the phrase. Yeah, I guess so, right? (laughs) Yeah, it. It kind of makes me cringe a little bit, but I do know that that's the area that people want to see. If they're hiring a speaker, they want to see that you are polished, you're professional, and you can deliver. And when it comes to, can you help me pay off debt? It's, can I relate to you? So it's yeah. just very different targets. Does that mean that the the focus is going to change from Whitney Hansen, who helps individuals through your courses and content and so forth, to Whitney Hansen, who helps employees of enterprises and businesses? Is that Great also question. changing? No. So that's still not going to be changing. It's just time to branch into a different revenue stream. And so this is all working. So now what, now I know, you know, how much does it cost to get people into my funnel? I know when it's going to convert likely. So that piece is working. I've got that pretty solid. And now it's, I feel like it's, it's afloat enough that I can let that little child walk on its own. And now I can start teaching the other kid to crawl. So that's kind of where I'm at. (laughs) Oh, very well thought out. That's like the teacher in you looking at the students and (laughs) right. So, uh, so going back to this offering then and, and the speaking piece, how each one of these, um, what percentage of your revenue or your income that each of these represents, obviously, you know, those numbers, I don't know if you're able to, if you're willing to share those numbers, I hadn't asked you that ahead of time, but, um, what's the piece that you most rely on and what's the piece that you think speaking can bring to this? Currently, most of it's about 60% from coaching, from individual coaching, and about 40% from courses and just randomness. And so that's where it is right now. My goal is to flip that because as you get into the speaking world, you can start to charge quite mm-hmm. a bit more. Right. And I don't want to trade my time for money as much anymore. It's kind of exhausting. It's good. I will always do some element of that, but it is very tiring. So I'm hoping to flip that where it's now 60% from speaking 
And then the rest will be supported through coaching, through courses, through affiliate marketing, through ad dollars. So that's kind of where I'm hoping to just like switch it up a little bit. Right. Exciting. And um, how patient are you with yourself on that? Like how much time do you think that will take to make that transition? Yeah. So my, my intention is within the next five years, it'll be fully fleshed out in that with the new revenue growth. My goal within the five years is to definitely hit about 600000 to $700,000 in income. I think that's doable. Do I think it's going to be hard? Yeah, it's going to be really hard because that's going to require me to change my mindset again. But yeah, that's my, my five-year goal is to get to that, that mark. That's next level thinking. Yeah, you, you have to. Every level is a little bit harder. Your first $100 is very different than your first $1,000. You yeah. have to level up in a different way. Which leads to the last area I want to cover, and that is how you do what you do. So for so long, Whitney Hansen, the brand, was Whitney Hansen, the person. As you've entered this new phase where you are on your own and have been now for a year and you're looking ahead to some pretty lofty goals over the coming years, how much are you willing to or have you already started to outsource so that Whitney Hansen, the brand, actually makes is comprised of these people instead of just mm-hmm. Whitney Hansen? Yeah, tough as a control freak, right? Like I, I'm very type A. I think I can do it all on my own and I can, but not well. So that's the issue. Um So what I've been doing now is I have enough revenue where I've done some experiments, so I don't need that money to do as many experiments with business and just essentially blow the money, frankly, in some ways. Um, I'm not doing that as much. So what I'm doing now is I'm hiring contractors. So I've got a writer that's now writing for my website and she's a rock star. So she's doing two articles per month. What I'm doing is I'm testing out to see how how is she at writing so that we can start to get more into that SEO stuff and, and have that continue to grow the business. I have now a virtual assistant that's helping me with email because I suck at email. I'm the worst at it. So having somebody to manage that, she's going to be doing that in the background. My intention with her is to train her up so that she can take on more of a project management role. That's one of the pieces that I need help with, but I can't afford that yet. So I'm slowly easing into that. I have a podcast editor now. He started off as a college intern, uh, amazing guy, worked for free for almost a year. And now he's hired on to do the editing. I have somebody that manages my Pinterest. My So I've, I've got the people in place. And basically what I do is I start with very, very small tasks to see how they do as a whole. And what are their areas of expertise? What are they good at? What do they enjoy? And then my goal is to work them into a bigger role as the business grows. So I already have the team structure in place. Now it's just scaling it up so that I can afford to hire them full-time. Which brings on a whole new set of skills that you'll need to, God, you'll need to apply right? to the business. I know. I'm very much excited about that and very much dreading it at the same time. <laughs> Well, they're counting on you, Whitney. You not only have to now be the expert who puts her words into courses and blogs and so forth, but now you need to be the visionary and you need to be the leader and you need to be the coach and you need to be tough, right? Like that's like next level (laughs) pressure when you have employees and their paychecks count on you. And that's, I can let myself down. I don't like to let other people down. So that's the scary piece now. But the cool thing is when it's all said and done, it's still your name that's associated with it. And so in a lot of ways, and I don't say that in an egomaniac way, I say that in a way where it's still your face and your name and people can count on feeling like that same, that voice is still the same. It's still your brand and Whitney is still behind it. It's not like you've, you're living in an RV in the Bahamas or something like that. I don't know why you would do that, but it's not. I would love that though. <laughs> if you're in the Bahamas, I'm not really sure why you need an RV, but let's say you, <laughs> right? you chose to do that. Uh, it's, but it's not like you've suddenly exited the business and handed mm-hmm. over. 
no. And I never will with this business. That was very clear from the beginning is I thought about doing more of the app venture capital raising that side of it and then doing an exit strategy. All of my mentors from when the incubator that I was part of are angel investors and have grown really, really large companies. That didn't interest me. I wanted something that I could do long-term. So my business to be very clear is very much a lifestyle business. And I love it that way. So you never want to get this to a point necessarily where the brand is so big that you're not even a part of your own brand. No, this is my livelihood. I love it. I think it's so much fun and I don't intend on ever retiring because I I want to be this tied to the business. It's really entertaining and very fun for me. And if I'm no longer enjoying it, I don't want to sell it and let somebody else try to grow it further. I'm that's just not for me. I'll just pivot and change the business model a little bit and keep it going. And you'll probably do that anyway. And it sounds like you are. Literally. Yes. (laughs) Good point. Whitney, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. I had so much fun and I hope it was entertaining and educational for people. That was the story of Whitney Hansen. You can catch her at WhitneyHanson.com. That's S-E-N for her last name. Or tune in to the Money Nerds podcast. Coming up next week, he's not a software developer, not even a designer, but he's going to hit seven figures this year with his less than one-year-old company, Cartflows. He's also the founder of WP Crafter. It's Adam Pricer. All right, a special thank you to my co-producer, Preston Lee, founder of Milo and admin of the Milo Mastermind community on Facebook, as well as our incredible research assistant, Bilal, for helping put this episode together. We're also proud members of the Podglomerate Network, which features other shows like Rocket Ship, The Feast, Two Girls, One Podcast, and numerous others. Thanks for listening, everyone. Catch me at Brandon Hull on Twitter if you like, and feel free to drop your rating or review on whichever podcast platform you prefer. We'll catch you next time on Freelance to Founder. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.